0: All right, huh? Praise God. That's it? One amen? Come on. <laughs> Let's be excited here. God is moving in this place. Beautiful thing to see. So, got a little bit of a tough message for you today. Y'all you ready for it? Put your headgear on. I want to talk about uh, identity, I want to talk about purpose. I want to remind us all who we are in Christ and what that means for our lives. There's an identity crisis in the church. There really is. You know, we don't really know who we are. We haven't really fully embraced. I don't mean this church. I mean the church, the universal church. We really haven't fully embraced who we are and what that entails. Sure, we love the idea of of, of being a new creation. We love the thought of of being forgiven. We love the thought of being unconditionally loved and redeemed, but we often forget how to live in light of those things, don't we? Mm, We do. See, society and culture have such a strong impact on our identity that even when we're rescued by Jesus, we still hold on to the many labels or or struggle with the ingrained expectations that have been instilled on us over the years right? I'm too fat. I'm too short. Not smart enough. Not rich enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not as good as that one. And it goes on and on, doesn't it? We then drag these false identity expectations with us into our faith walks and into the church, and we never fully identify with who we are now that we're in Christ. And so I looked up the word identity, you know, not that I don't know what it means, but I just wanted to see, what does the dictionary say? What's the literal definition? And it says, it's the fact. It's the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. Think about that. And therefore, to identify what that means, it's to establish who or what something or someone is. So, so first, you know, knowing that the identity is this fact of what something is or who something is, is now identifying with that fact, right? And so let's look at our identity apart from Christ, right? What does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2 and the first few verses? He says, and you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath wrath, like the rest of mankind. Come on, Paul. It's a little tough. What he's saying is, is, apart from Christ in the flesh, when we live for the flesh, when we live of this world, we're literally, we become objects of God's wrath. We're apart from him. We can do nothing good. And some of us might try to debate that. And I'd love to have that conversation with you at length because I thought the same thing for many years. But now, it says, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For those who are in Christ, you are now new creations. The old is gone, the new has come, and we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. That's the difference. Right? It's a complete 180. We're no longer dead. We're no longer objects of wrath. We are dead to sin, but we are alive in Christ. We are new. And a lot of times we don't embrace this new identity, right? What happens is, is we say, well, yeah, I want that. I like the idea and the concept of that, but you know, I'm still all these things too. You know? And we carry a label with us for the rest of our lives. And I experienced that. I've been through that myself. You know, I have this problem. I have this struggle. I have this stronghold. I can never heal fully from this. You know, medical science and doctors and psychiatrists say, I'm stuck here. Wrong. God is above all those things and says, you are new in Christ. <laughs> Period. 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 And so now let's look at what purpose is. Purpose is the reason for which something is created or for which something exists. It is your reason. It is your why. It's why you were created, right? So Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, Paul tells us that all things were created by him and for him. By him and for him. His good purpose. Purpose. And then if you look at Genesis, right from the very beginning in the first chapter, in the 27th verse, it says, we were created in God's image. We were created in God's image. And, and we know, according to John, it says that God is spirit. So for the record, this doesn't mean that God is in human form. We're not, we don't look like God in that way. But we were created in his moral, spiritual, and intellectual nature. Moral, spiritual, and intellectual nature. In other words, we understand things. And when we come alive in Christ, what happens is is we can see things the way they ought to be or the way they should have been. We start to understand morals as something much different. It's not just a code, but something more deeply ingrained within us. Right? We start to see things eternally rather than just temporarily or just what's right in front of us. We start to see bigger picture things, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, everything starts to make sense. Trees are greener, birds are louder. You you start to like people a little bit more. Come on. (laughs) I want you to look at the person next to you. I want you to say this. You were created in the image of God. That's right. If you're here today, you have a job, you need to pay attention. You're part of this too. So if we're created by God and for God, then that must mean we find all of our purpose in him, right? I mean, that only makes sense. That's the next logical statement. If we're created by him and for him, then that means our purpose has been established by him, and that's where we find it. And I think a lot of times, most of us, you know, we, we, we have these identity crises like, who am I? What am I meant for? You know, and and then if if we get the right answer and we don't like it, what do we do? Who am I? What am I here for? Until until someone confirms what we want to hear. But that's not how this works. God has already affirmed in all of us when we came to know him who we are and what our purpose is. So, we can go to our Creator just like we can go to the owner's manual of our vehicles and we can find out what we were meant for and how we ought to run. Right it's that simple. Stop making it so complicated because you won't feel like doing this. Told you it was going to be tough today. Imagine trying to write this. Amen. Amen is right, Hector. So, I want to look at this a little further through two main points. But first, before I do, let's pray. Let's just pray. Father, help us to set ourselves aside, our egos, you know, our pride, all these walls that we sort of put up when we hear things that maybe are a little uncomfortable or, or we don't want to hear. Help us, Father, to have hearts to receive humble, teachable spirits, God, that allow you to change and grow us into the likeness of your Son, to rescue us from our sin, to deliver us from our flesh, and to no longer be those objects of wrath, but the righteousness of you in Christ. Have your way now through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, identity is defined by the one who created us. It's defined by him. It's not as much about who we are as much as it is about whose we are. And that's something that we have to remember. We're always looking for like this personal identity because we all have this thing inside of us where we want to be somebody, right? And then we envy those who we maybe deem have become somebody. But the reality is, is it's really about whose we are in the sense of God created us to be his, in his image, with his purpose. And when we rise to that calling and we embrace that identity, it's a much higher calling than anything that we can concoct on this side of eternity. I don't care how many you know, millions of dollars you have or how many movies you've been in or how many cars you drive and all that stuff means absolutely nothing. It'll all be gone. So this, this calling, this identity is so much higher, we need to stop envying those people and start looking at who God has called us to be. So Romans 8, it says this, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are God's children. First and foremost, we're his kids. And if we're his children, then we're heirs, Right? We inherit, we stand to inherit his kingdom. And it says we're heirs of God and co heirs with Christ. Wow. Wow. What did I do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. I've been adopted by the King. And now I stand to inherit all he promises because of what Jesus did for me. But now it's, it's important we embrace and understand this, that this identity comes with great responsibility and it should not be taken lightly. It shouldn't, right? Those of you who are Spider-Man fans, you understand this line, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Or you could go back to the first century and Domocles, when well, he first said it, where Stan Lee ripped it off from. If we're identified in Christ, then we're now his ambassadors. We're now his ambassadors. What does that mean? What does that look like, right? If you're a brand ambassador, let's say, your job is to best represent that brand so that they are honored and dignified and worthy of people's attention. And so it's the same idea. That word doesn't change in the context of Christ. Right? We're ambassadors for him. So what that means is, is when we leave this room, when we go off into our cars, into our homes, into our workplaces, into the stores, and wherever, it else, wherever else we end up, we're ambassadors. We're representing him well. That's the key word, isn't it? Well. Because yes, sometimes we forget, don't we? Sometimes we can blend right in with that world really easily, and we can get dragged into things we shouldn't be dragged into. But that's not what an ambassador does. No, the ambassador understands a higher calling and the ambassador rises to that despite what's happening around them. It's like witness protection. Anybody familiar with witness protection program? Don't raise your hand because we can't give you up in here. (laughs) But think about this. What, What happens, right? A witness is who who are sort of helpless against the revenge of a, of a criminal let's say they receive a new identity and all the details that go along with it ground up they're completely reconstructed right so they become they have a new name a new background a new address and even a new career sometimes right and and then they plant you into a new community and you start your life over under this new identity and, and so think about that for a second. They can never go back to being what they were before unless they want to risk their lives, unless they want to face certain death. And this is the same exact thing that God does for us, church. It's the same exact thing. He delivers us from the enemy and certain death and gives us this protection, this new identity and life And there are wonderful perks to this, this new spiritual identity. But just don't expect the world to validate or affirm that identity. Don't expect the world to say, oh, good, great. No, what's going to happen is, from a worldly point of view, you and I are the same we've always been. Anybody ever have to go through this? Right, You come to Christ, you give your life over to him and he starts doing some radical things and delivering you from some things and transforming your heart and your life and your mind but the people who've known you will never let you escape that reputation, that old self, they keep reminding you of who you were and trying to condemn you to your past. I've been there. It's hard because you start to believe them sometimes, don't you? Their voice becomes louder than the voice of God sometimes, doesn't it? They're happy to remind us of all of our baggage. They're happy to scoff at God and his people. Oh, you're religious now. Oh, you got Jesus. You're no longer this. They're happy to deny Christ and the convictions of Christianity as well. They don't care that you've now changed your life and your direction. Because one, misery loves company. And two, it says it's foolishness to those who are perishing. So we can't expect them to understand. Amen? Amen. To, to those of us who are being saved, it's different. It's the power of God working in our lives. And, and we're renewed. And everything's amazing. You, you have integrity. You have character. You can be trusted. You know how to love. You know how to forgive. You're growing. But a lot of people will just say, oh, It's fake an act, one more hustle, but you know, and that's okay, it's okay, because you know what, we don't do this for them, church, we don't do this for them, we don't do this to please people, we don't do this so people will will embrace us or like us more, we don't do, we do this because God has called us to us, because we know that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and the only way to deliverance, the only way to freedom, So we do it for him. We play to that audience of one. It's not for the approval of man. I want to talk about this for a second. I want to talk about the rewards and the perks. Of being a kingdom citizen, we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights. You know, we're going through the Sermon of the Mount. We're talking how Jesus, the Kingdom Manifesto, that Sermon on the Mount, it tells us how we ought to live now as kingdoms of, he- uh, excuse me, as citizens of heaven. There's an expectation. There's a standard, right? But there's also reward and identity. And and it says in 1 Peter 2, 9, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's who God sees you as. I don't care what other people say you are. I don't care how they see you. I don't care how you see you. What God says is, once you're mine, once I've sealed you with my spirit, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for my possession. And now your job is go out, proclaim his excellencies, right? Tell people how he rescued you from darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. Remind them. Remind them. And guess what? You're going to get laughed at. You're going to get mocked just like Jesus. Who cares? Who cares? You know what? If you don't, you're still going to get laughed at at some point in your life. You're still going to get mocked because that's how people are. But I'd rather get mocked for doing something for God than doing something for myself. Amen. Yep. I'd rather honor him with every breath. Yes. Let them form their opinions about me. I don't care anymore. That was something that was revolutionary for me. I'm not my own anymore. I don't care what people think of me. Think about this. This is what God says. Romans 8, we're no longer condemned. 2 Corinthians 5, we've been made righteous in Christ. In Ephesians 2, it says, seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It says, we're temples of a living God. Sons and daughters of the Most High. New creations. We've been saved and set free. That is your identity in Christ. That's your identity. That's your identity. Paul understood this new identity very, very well, right? Think about Paul's life. Think about who he was when God just interrupted his journey on his way to go capture and kill Christians, right? Listen to what he writes in Philippians 3. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So any of you who think you're big, anybody who thinks you're important or special, I have more reason than you. And to this audience 2,000 years ago, this was a big deal, right? Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, blameless. Paul is saying to this audience, and they would agree, I'm a pretty big deal. I'm a pretty big deal. I have many leather-bound books and an apartment that smells of rich mahogany. And then he goes on to say this. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All of these things that I've accomplished, all of these things, my reputation, my education, my position, my power, all of it, I count as loss. For the sake of Christ, I'm giving it all away. Have it back. He's saying, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. He's saying that's far more important than anything this world can give me. And he says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain and be found in Christ. That's the identity I care about. I don't want you to call me Pharisee anymore. I don't need you to call me a great Hebrew or Jew or any of these other things. I just want to be found in Christ now. That's what's most important to me. Yes. Amen. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What a difference, right? Paul goes and spends his whole life studying and becoming this great man in his culture, right? Very respected. He reads off his resume. says, look, I was all these things that you guys are trying to be, right? And I'm on the cover of Jerusalem GQ 2000 here. (laughs) Everybody wants to be like me. And I'm telling you it's garbage. I'm telling you it means nothing. I'm telling you that only through my faith now not my own work that I spent my whole life doing, but through faith in Christ, through Him, now I'm something more. Now I'm something more. I was just listening to a podcast the other day. Anybody remember who Daryl Strawberry is? I might be dating myself, but he was, a, he was a pro ball player. He played for the Mets, and you know he played like 17 seasons, hit over 300 home runs, tons of all-star games. The guy had a lot of problems with drugs. It was very, very public. And... And he, he ends up finding Jesus. And so he's on this podcast. And it was so awesome. I mean, I, you know, I'm no surprise to anybody, but I'm driving down the road listening to this. And there's tears streaming down my face because I'm thinking this guy's story is so much like mine. And, and back in the day, I mean, I was a huge baseball fan. I loved that was my sport, right? And I remember, like, watching Daryl Strawberry hit bombs. And I was like, wow, this guy's awesome. And, and I, I would always want to be like him. I would love to, one day to be a pro ball player. And of course, God saw other things if he didn't give me any height. But that's a whole other story. But, but I'll tell you, you know, he said, for all these years, people wanted to be just like me. All these people wanted my autograph. All these people wanted to pay me all kinds of money to play my game. He's like, and I was a nobody lost, sick and suffering. He's like, and now I'm a greater man than I've ever been in Christ, and nobody cares who I am anymore. (laughs) I said, praise God for that. Praise God for that. God does that, right? So Paul is saying this, same thing. In Galatians 2.20, he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live. It's Jesus in me. That's all that matters. And now my life is completely focused on that. Not all this other stuff. Sure, I have to go to work. Sure, I have to do X, Y, and Z. But first and foremost, this is who I am. And that dictates and navigates everything else in my life. That's who I am. That's my identity. Friends, just like Paul, we need to embrace this identity. We really do. And I think that that's one of the, the biggest problems in the modern day, especially American church, is what we've done is we've created a product, a brand. And we show up on Sunday, and we sing along, and we slap a bumper sticker on our car, and we vote a certain way, and we, we swear a little less. But you know what happens is, is we don't live this out. We don't give God our due, His due respect and adoration. We don't give him a full commitment. And so we're lukewarm at best. And what does Jesus say about the lukewarm? He'll spit us out. And that should strike fear in us. It should. A healthy fear of who God is and who we are in light of that. Amen. (laughs) Amen. So we must now identify ourselves in Christ and no longer identi- identify ourselves with the world around us because we're in this world but not of it. No more. Thank you, Jesus. We belong to a greater kingdom now. And the world is just not living for him. So we've got to stop dragging the world into the church. When the church starts looking more or just like the world, guess what? We have a problem. We're called to be peculiar. We're called to stand out. We're called to be different. And that's okay. We don't need to fit in. We already belong to the one who matters most. The world wants nothing to do with God, but guess what? It's okay. That's why he gave us each other. That's why you're all here this morning together. That's why all churches are gathered this morning together. Because we are part of a bigger family than we ever were. Universal church. Now that we understand a little bit more about our identity, I'm sure you're asking, what are the responsibilities and purpose that come with this identity? And I'm very glad you asked. Identity defines our purpose. Who you are defines what you do. I want to read in chapter 12 of Luke. We're going to read verses 35 through 48 together. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there now. <clears throat> so the, the the heading of this portion in my Bible says, be in readiness, and yours probably says something similar if it has one. Be ready. It says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Keep that oil burning for your master. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes back and knocks. Blessed are those, those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you, that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them himself. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves and servants. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed this house to be broken into. Makes sense. I know the thief is coming at this time. I'm not going to allow my house to be robbed. You too, he says, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you don't expect. Peter said, Lord, are, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? Is this just to your disciples, your apostles, or is this to everybody? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants and give them their rations at the proper time? Who's going to feed those people, right? Right? That's what he's saying. Who are those good stewards that are gonna take care of my people, my servants? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes, feeding his people, giving them their rations at their due time. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions, but if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time, excuse me, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready to act in accord with his will will receive many lashes but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. In other words, well, you didn't know the truth, you didn't know what the master expected, well, you're only going to get beaten a little. Thanks, master. And then he goes on and he says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask more. I'm to think about this for a second. There's a lot to be said here, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to pull a couple of simple, obvious statements here. We need to live ready. We need to live as good stewards who are feeding God's people his rations when he returns. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable. He's telling us that if we're living You know, we we, we take our salvation, we put it in our pocket, the knowledge of God, and then we sort of just leave here and keep living the way we were. Well, that's not being a good servant, right? I remember, and I shared this in the the first service, I remember when I was a teenager, my mom, and she would go away. And, you know, she could trust me because I was a good boy. And while she was away... You know, I would have friends over, I'd have parties, I'd make a mess of the house, the sink's piling up with dishes, laundry's piling up, it's all over the floor. The place is a disaster, right? Some of you are going, I probably should get a babysitter. (laughs) But I knew what day she was coming back, so that day before, that night before, I'd invite some of the friends who I'd been hanging out with all week, and maybe one would show up, and we would clean and clean and clean And do this like, you know, hurry up, get it done thing. And then when she'd walk in the next day and be like, glad you're home. How was your trip? And I'd watch her eyes racing and darting all over the place and thinking, oh, I hope I didn't miss anything. Because I knew when she'd come home. I knew my deadline. But it's not so with Jesus. See, it's different. What he's saying is, is keep the place clean until I get back. He's saying, you have to live this way every day, all day, because you don't know the day, the time, or the hour, so be ready. That's what this parable means. Stop living like I'm never coming back. Stop living like you never have to answer for any of this. You have a purpose. You have a calling on your life, so live in it. What do you want to be found doing when the master returns? Think about that. Maybe that'll help you in your day-to-day. Did you know that every single one of us as his servants has the call of God on our lives? Did you know that? I want you to turn to someone near you and I want you to say this. You have the call of God on your life. Good, you're getting better. See, this doesn't just pertain to those of us working in full-time ministry or serving in leadership-type positions, and that's an often misunderstood. See, it pertains to each of you sitting here today and every person who is found in Jesus Christ, every single one of you. We say things like, well, I don't work in a very Christian environment, you know, it's hard to minister in the secular places, right? I'm going to let you in on a little secret, though, this morning. Did you know that it's hard to minister in any environment? I'm a full-time pastor, and I'm going to tell you right now, it is extremely difficult. Ministry is not easy. We have been called to something more, something impossible to do without him. And I'm going to tell you this, you know, we don't need to separate secular from sacred. And I think that's what we do, and that's how we disqualify ourselves or maybe justify ourselves but you know I shared this in the first service and so I'm gonna share it again because it spoke to somebody when I first got home from Teen Challenge in 2010 I was a completely different person you know and 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 so my life and my perspectives my desires my ambitions everything was was different everything had changed and I had worked in finance and sales and I'd made some pretty good money in the mortgage market and things like that but when people found out I was doing well when people found out I was clean they didn't care why or how or what I went through. They were just like, oh, hire him. He's good. And so I got a lot of job offers in that first couple of weeks. And I would go to these interviews, and then, you know, I would pray before every single one, and, and, and you know, God would make it very clear as I walked in that this was not where I belonged. And so I went to this one place because I had promised the, the plant manager, who was a friend of mine, while I was in Teen Challenge, he hooked us up with a bunch of produce and so the only catch was is I had to go see him when I got back and, and talk to him about a job. And I kind of was just doing it to be nice. Like, okay, I don't have to work here. But, you know, I sat in the parking lot before the interview. I was really early. So I just prayed. And I just said, you know, God, if this is where you want me, okay, let me know. And I kind of giggled and go, but I don't think you want me here. Not in this warehouse job. It's not what I do. I walk into the, to the, the waiting area, and the guy comes out, and he says, Jamie Casey. And I said, how you doing? And he goes, come on in. And he stops, and he goes, I know you. And I went, oh. With a past like mine, that's, trust me, that's not something you really want to hear walking into a job interview. And so I'm like, okay. So I walk in, and I'm like, boy, I hope I didn't do anything stupid to this guy. So I sit down, and he looks at my resume, and he goes, oh, team Challenge. That's how I know you. And I was like, oh, really? Oh, yeah, the, the produce you guys supplied. He goes, oh, I had no idea about that. <laughs> and I said, so what do you mean? He goes, were you at a church months back, he says, over on Church Street, Christian Fellowship Center? Were you there sharing your testimony? I go, yeah, yeah, I was there. That was me. That was my first time coming back to New Bedford to share my story after about five or six months in the program. It was right here on this stage. And he said, well, that was my first day at church. I was like, no kidding. He goes, yeah, my girlfriend dragged me here. He says, dragged me there. And he says, but you know, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. He goes, I had a cousin. His story was almost identical to yours. And when you were sharing, I was in tears thinking, man, I shut my cousin off who we were really close growing up and I haven't talked to him in two years because I was like, I'm done with you, I've had enough and whatever. And when you shared your story, I realized that there was still hope for him and that I had handled it completely wrong. And he goes, so I reached out to him that day and I reconciled with him. And him and I are really close again. And you know what, he's got 60 days clean right now and he went to treatment and I told him all about your story. And he goes, man, that was amazing. And so I'm just sitting there and I'm like, God, do you really want me to work here? So I go, well, you know what I'm all about. I said, and I really believe that God is leading me here. If you have an op- a, a position, or an opportunity, I, I definitely want to consider it. a matter of fact, I'm almost positive he is, so I don't care if you have a cow and a shovel in the back, I'll take the job. And he laughed. He goes, no, we don't have a cow. He says, but, he goes, you're probably going to work second or third shift. And I said, well, I can't go, I can't work on Sundays. I go to church. I said, you know my whole story, so you know what I'm about. Can't, can't work on Monday nights because, you know, I have a Bible study, and then, uh, and then Thursday nights is my recovery group. But, you know, around those three things, I mean, I'm sure I can make something work. I was almost trying to talk him out of hiring me, you know. <laughs> and he goes, okay, no, it's good to know. He goes, man, I'd love to have you here. He goes, but it doesn't pay well at all. I'm just letting you know. He goes, it's terrible pay. And I was like, oh, you're really selling this place for me. And so two days later, he calls me back. He goes, hey, things have changed. I was like, oh, you bought a cow? And he laughs. He goes, no. <laughs> he says, he says, uh, he goes, one of my guys, one of my department leads, he, he went out on permanent disability. And I think with your background, you could run this department. You, we could teach you to do that. And he goes, and it's Monday through Friday, 6 to 2. He says, and so if you want to start, you can start next week. And I was like, okay. So I went there, and I worked there, and you know what I realized? It was a very ungodly environment, right off the bat. I was the only Christian in the place, and so there were two options, right? I could go there and mind my own business, and I could just shut my mouth, do my job well, and go home, and then live out my faith outside of my job. That's the first option. The second option, however, is more my speed, because I'm not good at minding my own business, (laughs) and I'm sold out for Jesus. So I went there every day, and I shined my light as bright as I could, and I I shared testimony, and I shared scripture, and I prayed with people, and I helped people get into treatment. We invited people to church, we baptized them, and things started happening, and I was like, wow. When you just live for Christ, he does the rest. And I watched this place, I watched people getting saved, and I, and I was like, it, it was amazing to me. And then they started ministering to me, and I remember one day, I knew something was happening because one of the forklift drivers, who was a complete lunatic, and I think he used to come to this church, as a matter of fact, afterwards, he, uh, he's driving by at like, you know, as fast as those things will go, and he's singing, how great is our God at the top of his lungs. And I'm like, praise God for all these crazy lunatics that love you. Amen. Why do I say all that? Because the ordinary can become extraordinary, right? Because the the, the secular can become sacred when we are there. You know what we sang, right? This is holy ground, right? We sang that song. I think about the burning bush in Exodus chapter three, right? When, When Moses comes up to the bush, what happens is God says, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. What made that ordinary ground extraordinary and sacred was the fact that God was present. That's what it was. It didn't have, he didn't say, you know, go to the church to talk to me. You didn't have to do that. He didn't need a chapel. He didn't need an altar. All he needed was the presence of God, and it became holy ground. It's just like every single one of you, wherever you go, you're temples of the living God. You're a, the spirit of God lives in you. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, the word says. So wherever you go, the secular becomes sacred. Our job is just to embrace that role. We've got to stop living like the world. We've got to stop embracing this identity and living with this purpose. Amen? Amen. Remember your identity, church. You know, I always think about this in regard to the ordinary becoming extraordinary. Someone had to fill the jugs with water before Jesus turned them into wine, right? Right? They didn't know what was going on. This is Jesus' first miracle, too. So they don't even know if this guy's for real, probably. But he's like, go, you know, let's, let's fill these jugs with water. The, the wine's run out at the wedding. And so all they did was an ordinary, natural task of obedience. And you know what happened? Is Jesus did something extraordinary and supernatural with that. Their obedience, their work, is what Jesus blessed And so I always think about this. Stop looking for a miracle without the work. Stop thinking you don't have to do anything and that it's just going to happen. Because that's not usually how how it works, right? Jesus says to pick up your cross. Jesus says to die to self. Jesus says to come, follow me, make disciples, teach them what I commanded. Live this out, shine your light, be salt. Fill your jugs. I'll make the wine, you worry about the water. That's what we do. Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says, We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We each have been given gifts and abilities, church. Each of us. Most of us have exploited them for most of our lives. And some of these gifts are natural, and then when we come to know Christ and become filled with the Spirit of God, some supernatural gifts will come as well. But I'm going to tell you this, every single gift that comes from God has a purpose of serving him and his kingdom. That's the purpose. That's what Romans says, right? It says we're members of one another. Ephesians 4 says it's for building up the body of Christ, right? In 1 Corinthians 12, when the church was getting out of hand, when they were just exercising their gifts for the sake of exercising their gifts, Paul says to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For the common good. That's the operative phrase in that verse. We all want the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but what ends up happening is is we forget it's for everybody else. We just want, we just want what's for ourselves, and we use it and hold on to it for ourselves a lot of the time. And so these good works that happen that I'm sorry, these good works that God prepared beforehand are not just personal. They're a special calling from God that applies to all of us. It's a universal calling and these gifts are built for those exact things and and what does that look like it's living a life that's pleasing to god right it's it's one that shines his light and remains unstained by the world and it's marked by trust and obedience to him that's what it looks like and jesus clarifies it pretty easily throughout the new testament right when the pharisees and the scribes they they pull up on him and they're like look since you're so smart What's the most important command? And Jesus goes right back to their old law, and he says, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and it's to love others as you love yourself. And he says, that on, all, on these two things, all the laws of the prophets hang. Like, in other words, if you get these two things right, if you can love God with everything you have and love people the way you love yourself, then guess what? All the other things are gonna fall into place. You don't need all kinds of laws if you do that Right? They didn't want to hear that, though, because they weren't good at loving God and loving others. And then the second thing he says is, it's in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, it's called the Great Commission. So we get the Great Commandments and the Great Commission, and this is how we ought to live. This is really, it's it, simplified, Christianity simplified. He says, in Matthew 28, he says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. Amen. Everything I commanded you, I want you to teach people. Those are the rations that the good servant feeds in the absence of his master. That's what it means to be and make disciples. This is what the call of the church is, is to multiply. First, we identify with him, and we find our identity in him, and then we multiply. We go and we make disciples, just like the first church did, right from the very beginning, just like Jesus did, right? This is our purpose. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. We're called to multiply in nothing less church. We don't know when the master's coming home. And so our job is to live this out daily in an ongoing way. And so I just, you know, I know I said some tough things, and I pray that it it really did speak to you this morning. But I really want you to mull it over, and I don't want you to just leave here like this is just another message. Because there is nothing more important to us than understanding our identity and calling in Christ. There really isn't. Nobody has just called you to be a a religious person here. And if that's all you got out of the gospels, if that's all you've gotten out of Christianity, then you've missed the greatest blessing of all. And not only that, you're not going to live the life that God has called you to, the abundant life that he promises. So I pray everyone here has come to believe in some way or another that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. That he's the only one that can deliver us from our sin and give us eternal life that nothing you can do or nothing that you've done or nothing you're doing now is bigger than the cross or greater than the blood of Jesus. And if that's the case and you've accepted him and you're now in Christ, and God has begun the work of sanctification in you because that's what he promises to do. The fact of you being a new creation is being confirmed through the internal transformation that is happening daily in your lives. And if it isn't happening... If that transformation isn't obvious to you, then that means you've either decided you're not going to participate in this process with with the Spirit of God and things are going to move very, very slowly and be very, very very painful, or you've put your faith in a false gospel and a false Savior that can't do anything for you. And so my prayer for you today is, is that you put your faith in the true Christ, the true gospel. Today can be the day that everything changes for you. Today you can embrace and walk confidently in your new identity. You can repent and recommit yourself to surrendering and living for God if you've fallen away. And if you haven't put your faith in the one true Savior named Jesus Christ, then you can do that today and receive this new life and identity in him. And I know there's a lot of fear that goes along with that because I've been there. I'm going to tell you there's no greater or no better life, as Pastor Brian says, because it's true. It's true. We've tried it all. We're your research monkeys. Let me tell you, there isn't much I haven't done. I'm going to ask you all to stand for a moment here. And just humor me, okay? I want you to just bow your heads for a moment before we sing, before we do anything. I want you to just bow your heads and just reflect in silence. Close your eyes. And just think about what you've heard here today. Think about what God has put on your heart. Think about all the thoughts that have raced through your mind. All the conviction you felt. And if you're here today and you'd like to profess your faith in Jesus for the first time, I just want you to raise your hand so we can pray for you. You can just raise your hand wherever you are if this is your first time and you want to profess that faith. I see your hands. Praise God. If you're ready to recommit your life to Jesus today because you haven't been living out your purpose or embracing your identity in him, I want you to raise your hand too. I want you to raise your hand so we can pray for you. I want you you to stand with us as we stand in the gap for you so we can pray for you as you recommit your life to Christ today. See, the word says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over and through all in all. All things were created for him and by him, Paul said. And so church, we're one body united in him and we need to live out that calling daily as a people who are called to identify ourselves in Christ and multiply his kingdom. The altars are open. Our prayer team will be up here. Don't leave here don't leave here with just a good thought or concept in your mind i want you to leave here refreshed renewed and rejuvenated in the spirit i want you to leave here knowing that today is the day that you can reroute everything and and begin to follow him again let's let's worship him church